If you're on TikTok and you like food, you may very well know who Detroit-based chef John Kung is. Kimchi tomato sandwich. It's very wet. Mm, that's very good. Their feed is filled up with delicious recipes, cooking techniques, and ruminations on cross-cultural cooking. The greatest strength that we have in this country, the United States, is our diversity, culinarily speaking and in general. John Kung now has a debut cookbook. It's called Kung Food, and it features 100 recipes, from broths to condiments to noodles and dumplings, everything that John describes as Chinese-American recipes from a third culture kitchen. Today, creating culture through food and cooking in the social media era. This is Stateside. I'm April Bear. John does most of their work online, they have nearly 2 million followers on TikTok. But recently, they've been getting to bask in the in-real-life world for a nationwide book tour. And John says that's been refreshing. It's just been, like, such a pleasure to actually meet the people behind, like, all the numbers that you see in social media, but to, like, quantify actual, like, faces and people that you've made an impact on. It's just been an extremely humbling experience. And building connections is also a big part of John's work. Their cooking can be especially resonant for third culture kids. One of the first lines in the book is that, um, I'm just going to quote here, third culture is the celebration of the in-between. And for those who have not heard the phrase third culture before, this means not entirely the culture of our parents, not entirely the culture of the town or country we grew up in, but this third culture. John, do you mind talking about what that means to you? Sure. Uh, third culture, to me, just means you grew up in a situation where you crossed a cultural divide probably every day of your developing life. Um, that for a lot of people, that means growing up in the home of someone that like your parents or whoever raised you, your grandparents, perhaps being very strongly rooted in the culture of where they came from. Uh, that could be like, you know, Nigeria, Mexico, China, Hong Kong anywhere <laughs> and then crossing again crossing that divide once you step out and you go to school in the united states canada united kingdom that kind of thing yeah i mean it could be anything from linguistic difference to social difference to uh, i guess even just things like tastes and flavors that are so often a part of our childhood memories yeah yeah for sure that like consistent and daily immersion in two cultures gives you such access to like not only you know the rituals and the food and the art of the two different cultures but also to like things like nuance in humor and communication as well as like you know preferences in food that is something that like you can learn over time but to be born into it is a little bit of what i call like a creative superpower can you think of an example of how being a third culture kid informs the cooking that you do right now? Oh, absolutely. Um, so if you look at any of like the later recipes in my book, it is pretty much just an illustration of the things that I the things that I grew up with combined the things that I learned to love in my time in both the Canada and the United States. So like the dandan lasagna is a mix of dandan noodles that I love, like a spicy Chinese dish mixed with uh, lasagna, which is something that I grew up loving because my mother would make the Stouffer's lasagna as a treat whenever she thought I deserved it. 
apart from that, things like there is the lion's head meatballs with spaghetti. Spaghetti was actually a thing that I grew up loving in Hong Kong. But the spaghetti that I grew up with was like Filipino spaghetti. And then this spaghetti and meatballs is more of a traditional Italian-American marinara style. But put on top of that is a very large braised and fried Cantonese meatballs. Also hearkening back to like imagery that I had as a child of like cartoonishly large meatballs in movies like Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs. I just thought it would be really fun to <laughs> do something along the lines of that. And finally, things like uh, beef and broccoli pot pie, which is like my little homage to the beef and broccoli dish that is traditional to Chinese-American cuisine. And then the pot pie, another like home staple that I just was exposed to a lot and loved very much. Can I just tell you, I just, there's so much I love about the way you talk about this concept because in, in commercial, in commercial cooking and, you know, fine dining, We've all had a lot of fusion <laughs> that was done because it could be done. But the thing that you're describing is just, it's so much more a product of delight and experience and experimentation. Yeah. So that is kind of like the main differentiator between like third culture, which is admittedly a type of fusion. And if you look into the history of any cuisine long enough, you'll find that every cuisine is a type of fusion. But like we don't need to get into that right now. Um, third culture, it's it's informed by by a desire to communicate between peoples of two different cultures, one that you might have had a lifelong exposure to. So a third culture food is informed by nostalgia and love. Meanwhile, historically, we've seen like fusion restaurants like in the 80s, 90s and 2000s being more informed by like just being trendy and like turning a quick buck. John, right now you have over one and a half million loyal followers on TikTok. What brought you to this path of of sharing your food journey into the digital world? You've got you've got such an interesting history before you before you turned to cooking online, including and not limited to a law degree. How did this how did this come to be the focus of your daily activities? Um, well, uh, I did graduate from uh, U of D School of Law. But, you know, I instead of pursuing that legal career, I was also teaching myself how to cook while in law school. And I just found that, like, that was my true calling, even though I had done all this work and gotten the degree. I just felt like this was something that I needed to do. And Detroit was, for me, like the only place that it could have really happened because I was able to grow in that city, Detroit was very forgiving as I was like learning to serve and learning to cook for people. It's interesting that I have like this big following and I'm so public facing now because like for the for like six years prior to the pandemic, I was operating like a very, very secretive private kitchen inside of Eastern Market. And because of the pandemic, I stopped cooking for people in person and I started just like trying to teach people how to cook online in short form media. We've talked to a lot of people in service industry about, you know, just the 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 zombie apocalypse of the pandemic in terms of the restaurant industry, in addition to, you know, the, the big cataclysm that it was in their own lives. But it, like you were you were sort of doing this kind of different thing that was very like you say, it was very much an intimate experience and very small what was what did it feel like when you kind of realized what was happening that you were going to have to stop well it was still the pandemic when i had that 
aha moment. And unfortunately, I wish it could have been like something a little more poetic than me realizing, oh, there's enough money in this to make a career out of it really, really quickly. But like that's facts are facts. And I loved doing it. I loved I loved extending. Oh, well, also at the time, let's let, let, uh, let, let's go back to the fact that like we didn't even know if we would ever really see each other again. Like that's where we were in quarantine. Um, so for me to have developed this career while in that, um, it just seemed like a logical step to take. And by the time we had come out of it, it was really like too, it had gotten to be too big to ignore. And it was also something that I found that I truly loved. It was artistic expression in food in a way that reached tons and tons of people. And that wasn't something that I was doing or even thought I had any interest in doing. It was something that I learned that I wanted to do. We need to take a break. When we come back, a surprise cookbook marriage proposal and expressing self through food. That's in a minute. Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. Support for Michigan Public's Stateside Podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Hey, before we get to some of the recipes, John, I have to congratulate you. This is such a baller move. You wrote a proposal to your partner, Jonathan, into the book. What? (laughs) This is like putting it on a jumbotron. Are you crazy? Um, Well, in all fairness, we had been together for nine years at that point um, or at this point. And so in my mind, it not only seemed like a safe bet, but an appropriate gesture for um, a couple that had waited for that long. Uh, so yeah, a lot of people feel like I was like nervous or, or, or scared of what the answer was going to be, but like, it it seemed like just, if anything, like a formality in our relationship that I thought doing it this way would be something that was fun and something that would make him happy. And I was right. It, It did. He was elated and totally surprised. And that in turn made me very happy. As with all other things, there is a video of this <laughs> that lives on your feet. Yes. But for those who aren't next to a device at the moment, can you describe what happened when uh, when he saw it? How did he find out? Yeah, so um, I had received some pre-issue copies, physical copies of the cookbook by that time. And he was upstairs getting ready to pack for a for a trip to Cabo with my mother (laughs) that he was going to take while I was on tour. And so I knew at that point, like, okay, well, I'm going to have to ask him soon because by the time we both leave, the book will release. And he certainly can't be like the last person to know. (laughs) And so I asked him to come down and, uh, and I was like, Hey, do you want to see the physical copy of the book? And he was like, sure. And he flipped to it. 
And the he flipped to the first page and he saw that it was dedicated to hit the him. And that was already enough to make him absolutely giddy. And he was like, this is so great. I'm in your cookbook. I'm so happy and didn't know about it. And he was like, am I in any other place? And I was like, yeah, I say thank you at the back. I say thank you to you at the back. So he flips to the back. He reads through the entire acknowledgement section, which is funny because I think he only knows like maybe like two or three people that were acknowledged in there besides himself. And then he gets to the last line and the proposal is there and he couldn't believe it. And he's just staring at the book and he was staring so intently that he didn't see me just sneak the ring out from under the table. And when he finally looked up, he saw the ring and he jumped up and he just started laughing. <laughs> well, again, congratulations. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't have happened yeah. to a couple of nicer people. <laughs> Thank you. John, you've evidently spent a lot of time thinking about what we communicate with food that we maybe cannot get across in other ways. What are the words you use to talk about that? Yeah, food is such a win, a great window into how people like not only communicate with each other, but like the act of, I guess, breaking bread is like a cultural act that is like expressed in different ways by different people. Like you can get such a lesson just by observing or taking part in how people eat with each other. And it also shows people's like not only preferences and tastes, but like how they express love for each other, because to like cook for long periods of time is, in my opinion, an expression of love and affection. It can be work when done in a professional setting, but, you know, this book is really catered towards like home cooking. And that's kind of like the angle that I'm going after. Yeah, but home cooking is just how we express, like how we care for one another. And I don't think that in any other medium you can get such a thing distilled so in, in such a concentration of time as with like eating with one another. Sometimes people feel pretty territorial about their home food recipes. Uh, you know, understandably so. I mean, it, it is, our food is what it is to each of us. Sometimes people want to keep them as traditional as possible. As you've been moving through different iterations of like, what is Chinese food? What is Chinese American food? What is, you know, what is something that can be preserved? What is something that can be changed? Are there some some things coming up for you that that you have been interested in changing and some things that you have wanted to keep the same? I mean, the great thing about traditional recipes is that they already exist and there are people that can continue to make them. But even the traditional recipes that we have learned had come from somewhere and had been developed over time by other people using ingredients that they have discovered for themselves. Um, it is not in any way, shape or form my desire to change or quote unquote improve or modern modernize on any recipe, but ultimately it is my expression of self. I don't really search for authenticity of food anymore, but I do respect a person who, ex who expresses himself through food, um, showing an authenticity of self and that this is what the book is for me. You've done so many different kinds of kitchen work. And right now, you obviously, you're on book tour for this, and your feed is is very busy. Do you ever feel pricks of a need to get back into a commercial kitchen? Um, yeah, but there are only pricks. There's no, like, strong force of a desire for me to get back just yet. I've only been doing this for three years. I am 
very happy to do it for at least a little while longer. Yeah. I mean, there are certain constraints to that, for sure, even if you're doing something like a pop-up dinner for people that, uh, you know, that are sort of like a, a friendly audience for you. Are there ways that your cooking has, has been freed up or changed by the medium of going online with it? Oh, only having to make one of anything has been a delightful change. <laughs> but yeah, aside from that, I feel like I still do have opportunities to cook for other people. I, I do have a pop-up show coming up with uh, Miss Kim's at Ann Arbor in, in December. And although like I won't be doing the cooking directly, it will be like our recipes. I'm happy to cook for my family for now. And maybe when this tour is over, I'll be happy to just like do my old one-off pop-up thing every now and then and just show up at one of my friend's businesses in the city and just like maybe like shell out some dumplings to people who have like no idea that I was going to be there. I used to do that quite a bit and I really enjoyed it. That I miss. John Kung's book is Kung Food. They'll be at Literati Bookstore in Ann Arbor on December 4th. Like they said, there's a pop-up at Miss Kim in Ann Arbor December 5th, and the book tour wraps up in Detroit at Source Booksellers on December 6th. John, thank you so much for talking with us, and thank you for everything you've shared through your feeds. Thank you so much for having me. That's the Stateside Podcast for today. I'm April Baer. If you're looking for more tasty listens, go over to michiganradio.org. You can stream full episodes of Stateside there whenever you want. Today's podcast was produced by Rachel Ishikawa. Other producers on the show are Mike Blank, Ronia Kavansag, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our intern is Olivia Moradian, and our executive producer is Laura Weber-Davis. Music for the pod comes from Blue Dot Sessions and also from Audio Network. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Rebecca Williams. I'm Lester Graham. We've been working on a big project about Great Lakes birds called the Bird Connection. It will look at ducks and trumpeter swans. Egrets and herons. And piping plovers. Yes! We'll discuss what we've discovered at a Michigan Public Issues and Ale event. Including how some problems for birds are problems for people. It's at Arbor Brewing Company in Ypsilanti the evening of May 21st at 7. You can register at michiganpublic.org.